Hello and welcome to the Endurance Coach Podcast. My name is Mark Laithwaite and I'm here today with my co-hosts, ultra runner and sports psychologist, Dr. Ian Bordley, and also with sports injury specialist, Mike James, aka the Endurance Physio. Each week, we'll be telling you what's new in the world of endurance sports. We're going to have some amazing guests on the show and we'll be discussing how you can reach your true potential on race day. So sit back and relax. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon, boys. It's great to be back for another podcast. We haven't uh, spoken for a while, and I'm sure you'll blame me for that um, with my uh, lack of returning messages. But it is good to be back for a podcast, and a lot has happened, hasn't it, since our last podcast? Uh, a lot of things have happened in the news with regards to gyms opening and events going ahead, and, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of chat on social media, so we have got a lot to talk about in this uh in this episode. So, um, Mike, first of all, how are you? How has lockdown up until this point treated you? Um, how's your training going and work? And uh, what's your thoughts on the current situation? Hello, hello, everyone. Yeah, we're back and, and probably for the first time in a long time, feels like we're going to have a positive chat about something. Um, as, as I've mentioned, through the ones we've done, lockdown's been okay for us down here, both. Um, Societally, we haven't been affected too bad, and personally, family-wise, and indeed work-wise, again, not affected too badly compared to some. Um, the training is non-existent, which probably leads nicely into the big announcement that I've deferred my MDS. Um, most people will know from previous episodes that it had been pushed back to September, and I had been struggling somewhat to get back into the groove over the last few months because of homeschooling, childcare and work. And then just again, that was sort of eight, nine months into the same training program, trying to rinse and repeat it. So um, so I've made the call, as it seems many have, to uh, defer to 2021. So I'm right now training wise taking a bit of a break so that I can refocus and as I'll talk a little bit about some stuff to do with races potentially coming up. I'm probably practicing what I'm going to preach to many others in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, I guess there's a mental thing there as well. It must be hard, you know, looking to mentally prepare for MDS when your kids are beating you in training as well, Mike. They've been beating me in training for a while, so it's easier to deal with than it once was. But um <laughs> it, it, I don't mind them beating me in training. It's the doms and the fatigue the next day. <laughs> it's race day that counts don't worry about it it's all fine it's all fine <laughs> so uh, Mike with you what's your um uh what's your current thoughts with regards to races being back on and so on you know what 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 are you picking up on on social media and the people you speak to yeah well f firstly brilliant it is fantastic that the world seems to be getting back to some relative normality slowly and it's fantastic that people will now have something positive to finish off the year. 
I think it's important that I say that because everything else I'm probably going to say might sound a little bit more negative and a little bit more of the fun, please. What I'm picking up online is all these people who've been treading water now, so to speak, for a couple of months are ready to hit the fast lane and just want to collect races and do as much as they can to salvage the rest of 2020. So I've had lots of conversations and lots of debates and lots of sort of forums where I've been involved in over recent weeks where I'm just trying to manage people's expectations that it's relatively, realistically, sorry, going to be August when people start racing. And certainly in the triathlon world, that would only be a couple of months away from the end of our traditional season. So we would almost be peaking and then starting to wind down a little bit. So those people looking at trying to get lots of races done or as much as they can in whatever form they can in the next couple of months, just have to be cautious that trying to salvage 2020 doesn't jeopardize 2021. We aren't far off the point where we would be looking slowly to coming into the end of season and then winding down for our off season to have a full winter's preparation. The Premier League football right now is a really good example. Yes, they've played catch-up and it's been fantastic watching all these games on telly over the last few weeks but they're going to have an absolutely tiny off-season now and it'll be really interesting to see performances and injury rates in professional sport circa Christmas time of next season because of what's happening now and my concern for many of the endurance athletes listening would be the same don't risk early parts or uh, missing goals and getting injured towards the middle of next season just to get something out of this season now that's not me saying don't race that's not me saying don't go and try and get some great performances in over the coming months but just be realistically ambitious in what people's plans are because next season's a blank canvas again and hopefully the world will be back to normal and all our dreams can be back on track so tempered positivity almost from me yeah, and I guess it's maybe a good a good time as well. Um, you know, we all talk about racing for the enjoyment of racing, and no matter how much you think you are racing for enjoyment, we all tend to slip into that category of being overly competitive and getting stressed about results and everything else. Maybe, maybe this, you know, the rest of this year is a time to really take a step back and and try and focus on enjoying it, and that being the prime goal. Yeah, because well, effectively now people have got races that they didn't think they'd have. You might yeah. be ending up doing races in a different format or a different type of race that you would do. And it should just be fun and a positive experience to do something. You know, many people might have yeah. Yeah. new pieces of equipment, yeah. new shoes, new bikes, and they get a chance to go and try those things now in a game situation, so to speak, but without the pressures of expectations being really high. So, um, So by all means, enjoy it and get something out of it. But... We've almost got a free go at a couple of races now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's your plans for MDS then? How, what would your approach be now for MDS? What's a, what would the date of it be for the deferral? So the deferral, the, the one that's looking more and more likely, like it will go ahead now, is the 8th till the 18th of September. For us who've deferred to 2021, it'll just be back to April, the standard first week of April. I think it's the... 2nd to the 12th or the 3rd to the 13th, the plan. So um, I'm trying to be really positive about it because effectively I've now got a second bite at the cherry without 
doubling the expense of it. Um, I've been quite lucky because when we when the race was postponed, effectively we used our deferral to go to September because the option was there for the following year immediately. And I declined that because I wanted to go to, to September. Um, I had to end up going right through the French authorities to get their permission to defer again because effectively it was a second deferral and they could have quite easily said no. And then I would have probably had to turn up in, in nine weeks in the desert, really underprepared. So thankfully they've said yes. So what I can do now is sit back and reflect. There was a lot of things that went really well from um, August to March of last year to this year for this year's race. So those can be repeated and refined a little bit. There was definitely some stuff I I wouldn't say I didn't do well. But for example, weekends, I I did very little training on weekends. I was trying to squeeze it and shoehorn it in around the week because of family commitments on weekends. Um, I will be a bit more selfish this year because I missed out on some really good quality sessions by doing it that way. So a few refinements as well. And what it will do, and I'll be open and honest about this, having another bite of the cherry will allow me to set my goals and expectations a little bit higher. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a bit more ambitious in what my finishing aims are as far as times and positions and stuff. I won't I won't announce them until probably the uh, recording we do just before I go, just in case they change. But um, yeah, it's just a case of having a break and going again. And effectively, what I'll be doing in the next few weeks is starting winter training again and building back up from there as much psychologically as physiologically. Yeah, yeah. And what's um, with all the latest news, you know, with uh, gyms and events opening, is, is, is stuff starting to open down where you are? Uh, slowly stuff yeah slowly there's nothing officially open yet as, as far as people going places or, or doing things but all the preparations are being put into place um and again gyms is a, is a brilliant thing that you brought up because exactly what i've mentioned now about that cautious approach to returning to racing the same applies if not more for gyms there's been many athletes who have done really well at maximizing what they can do at home, whether it's with some equipment or without some equipment, but it's fundamentally probably not the same training they would have done in a gym, whether that's resistance work, class work, circuit work, that type of thing. So for those endurance athletes who've trained at home, but plan on going back to gym soon, then again, give yourselves that four to six week buffer, just go back, gradually build up to what your previous levels would have been. We're going to start potentially giving ourselves increased risk of problems if we try to hit the ground hard even though that hard would have only been what you're used to doing three months is a significant time to not be used to doing it yeah yeah sure sure so ian what's uh wh- where are you at the moment with regards to training and everything are you um have you been keeping fit and keeping well and uh, is all work okay yeah everything's pretty good i mean work's very busy um which obviously impacts on everything else in terms of time but I think I've trained pretty well um I haven't I'm probably not quite as mountain fit as I would be at this time of year normally because I just haven't been able to get out in the mountains as much but I've been able to start getting across to uh Shropshire into the Long Mind and doing some hill work there which has helped with that so I think I've caught up a little bit on that recently but um aerobic fitness wise and probably strength I've probably done more of that uh, as Mike was just mentioning, just because uh, I've got equipment in the garage, I can do that 
type of training quite easily from home and because I'm not going away for a weekend doing an ultra event it's giving you more time to be doing that kind of training and also working from home so I've just sort of scheduled that into my day early in the day to get in there and do some of that strength work so I've probably done more of that but yeah uh, not too bad I think fitness wise and you're still going for uh, the London Marathon yeah so so that, that's yeah that's a bit of an unknown at the moment obviously because uh, it's it's where I want to take my training now and what I want to train for um you know as smaller events I, st- I saw the email from SI entries last week there's one or two events starting to appear on there now um in the mountains it's so do I go towards trying to train for something like that or is London going to happen and do I need to sort of make my training more specific towards the speed for the road and that's that is a little bit of an unknown for me because um I I think I'm in a good place to sort of take my training in different directions and become more and to make it more specific depending on which events I go towards um but there's we haven't got that clarity yet on London but it does look as though uh, I think London will happen in some capacity but but what that capacity is I'm not sure they're talking of there being 10 different possibilities I've heard all sorts of different things like different starts and socially distanced people going off in bubbles and groups um but I've also heard about virtual events and I think that's probably the extreme at one end where they might have a virtual London marathon and then at the other end is which is probably unrealistic what you've got is like your your normal London marathon there's probably an elite only event thrown somewhere in there in the middle or or alongside what's happening with the masses Um, so I think there'll be an event in some capacity but what that will look like I mean uh, yeah not entirely sure at the moment so it's hard to gear all my training towards that without knowing but I've heard that there are other road marathons that seem to be definitely going ahead if you're prepared to travel, I saw today just um, Athens Marathon have just got, uh, announced that they're definitely going ahead in November. So the alternative would be to, to now I'm thinking, do I start training very specifically towards London? And if um, if it ends up not happening, then switch to another event. Surveilling um, uh, later in the year as well, that I could possibly target. So there's one or two, I think, in Spain. Uh, there's Athens, so that I could look at switching to other events if if you're prepared to travel and the uh, quarantine rules stay the same as they are. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's it's obviously very difficult for organisers as well at this time because they uh, the things in things in October could be very different to they are now, and the rate of change, it's quite possible that things could be running completely normal in October, November, but then obviously it could go the other way and. You could get the opposite response and things could clamp down even more. It's it, it's really tricky, isn't it? And like the mass events like London, whilst events are starting to go ahead, they can go ahead with social distancing measures, whether that's a time trial format or something like that. But the problem is really with those mass gatherings where, you know, you really can't separate people. And they're the, um, I guess, they're the, you know, what they're hoping for is that it, things will run its course and we'll be fine by October, aren't they? But the other thing I said, it's always difficult with it, with those events is, when they say we're definitely going ahead in November, they will have a financial commitment. So that marathon will need to generate X amount of pounds to pay for itself to go ahead. And if they don't get enough entries, they won't have enough money to pay for the event. So it's a catch-22 situation, isn't it? So if we don't have 5,000 entries, we can't run it. 
So we've got to say it's going to go ahead yeah. because we need those 5,000 entries. And if we don't say, if we say it might go ahead, then it's, good, it's not going to go ahead because by saying it might go ahead, you won't get 5,000 entries. So it's not going ahead. You know, it, yeah, it's, a, it's a yeah. real that kind of financial commitment in there. But Mike, with, with the, the people that you work with, the athletes and that, you, you know, uh, patients that you have as well that you can use uh, injuries um, and people still training for big events. Have you got some people still working towards big events or are people pretty much, you know, are they right in the year off? Got a bit of everything. Got some people who've written the whole year off and are doing very little. Got some people who are um, using. So there's a lot of people who thought they'd miss events because of niggles, aches, injuries. And they've seen this. Oh, okay, great. I now have the opportunity to get myself better from stuff. Uh, I've been working with someone who was due to do Ironman Wales and was struggling pretty much from Feb until about, uh, or sorry, from uh, October to Feb with all the worries about how am I going to get there? So the fact that decision was taken out of his hands has liberated his time and his attitude to, right, I'm really going to knuckle down because next year I'm not going to make the mistakes I made this year. But there are others, again, who've, who've you know, um, hat off to them. They've stayed rigid in their pursuit of their goals, um, whether that's through some denial or just big stubborn-headedness, I don't know. But um, there are still some who are really going for the goals that they have for October, November and later. Yeah, yeah. And because what's interesting as well is um, with the the lack of, if you want to call them real events, um, obviously we've had the growth in um, virtual events, and that's an interesting thing to talk about, but also people doing personal challenges. So if there aren't any big events on the calendar, what you see is and people looking to do, you know, I'm going to go and run from A to B in a certain time and and of course, we, I think we've got to mention Sabrina Vergi at this point. Uh, Ian, were you, were you following it? If, and the, for the people who are listening who don't know, so Sabrina Vergi is a past Lakeland 100 winner. She had a go at the, um, uh, the Wainwrights Challenge in the Lake District. Remember, we had Paul Tierney on. Was, that, was Paul our first guest? Yeah. Paul Tierney, who set a new record. And, uh, and Sabrina was actually on for Paul's record at one point, wasn't she? I think it was Wednesday night, so I lost some time in the night, and then been try, trying to make that up since. But yeah, and she, but it was the um, if I'm right, it was she third fastest time overall, yeah. and obviously, and 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 the fastest female by a long shot as well. Uh, only female, I think. Oh, the only female. Yeah, the fastest female then. Yeah. So it's just Steve Birkinshaw and uh, Paul Tierney were faster. Is that right? Yeah, yeah so she, in six days, 17 hours, 51 minutes. And I think the record is six days, six hours and five minutes. Yeah, yeah. So. I saw a great shot of, um, of uh, uh, that's typical with the fell running culture of people going out helping each other. There's a great shot of them on the old coach road, which is part yeah. of the course, with Paul Tierney and Steve Birkinshaw helping her pace the event. You know, so that was a that was one of you know fantastic photographs. So, what were your thoughts on that, Ian? Have you been following it? And uh, I, I've been following that, and um, yeah, I thought this was in particular this would be a good thing to discuss because I don't think these are one-offs. Uh, it, just over the same weekend, there's Kim Collison's just done 78 summits in 24 hours, so broken the 24-hour record um, for Lake District summits. And then when you listen to podcasts. Yeah, there's a lot of people, certainly stateside, where things are a little bit more open. There's been a lot of people going for uh, fastest known times 
Um, so I think it's, the, you know, for the people that it's, they want something still to work towards and they need that, I think there's been quite a lot of people that are sort of shifting towards personal challenges. And I, um, I wonder if that might be, you know, a way of thinking about races, you know, for the remainder of the year as well and seeing how they, because we've got sort of a limited build-up um, in terms of our training, our training background, instead of trying to beat times that we've done in the past, you know, maybe we should be thinking, well, where am I currently? What would be challenging for me and what's possible in the time that's that's remaining? Um, and we can sort of take that mindset back into the racing as well. But, yeah, it's really interesting. I think there's a lot, because that's another thing that I've thought about is, you know, racing is uncertain, as we just talked about for London. If you work more towards personal challenges, like, yeah, I've thought about for a few years going for a Bob Graham or something like that, that's a bit more, yeah, you you can be a bit more certain that that would go ahead because obviously you're not impacting other people. Obviously you've got to get the support around you possibly, which might be a little bit challenging in sort of a, a COVID situation, but you know, you're talking small numbers and you can easily so socially distance to do that. Um, so that's, a, that's another option. And I think it's one that a lot of people have taken in that there's a bit more certainty about going for these challenges maybe things that have been in the back of people's minds for a few years and now the race calendar's sort of been uh, wiped clean this year they thought well now's maybe the chance to go after that that record or you know that challenge that i've thought about in the past so i think that you know it's a good motivator for people in terms of their training as well um and it's much easier to train for something if you've got that that clarity but now that was an incredible uh, performance by sabrina over the last week, well, almost um, exactly a week, um, probably one of the toughest challenges I would think in uh, in the UK. Um, that one. So yeah, no, it's, I was following that. Yeah, it's been impressive. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, of course with the virtual events, I, I say that there's um, before this whole uh, COVID thing started. I think I was probably. I'm not, I wasn't, I certainly wouldn't say I was anti-virtual events, but never really fully understood the point. And I was always more towards the community of a proper event where people turn up and take part together. And that's something I've always, you know, always really enjoyed and strongly believed in. So the idea of virtual events to me just always seemed a little bit strange. But I have to say, I have come around to whether it just suits the situation. I have come around to the idea quite a lot. And, and it's kind of shown me that you can build communities in other ways as well. Um, Mike, have you, um, your experience of virtual events, have you been involved in any or have people that you know been involved in any? Um, what, what's, the, what's been going on near you? Yeah, lots. I've not done any myself. Um, I've always been someone who's preferred, like Ian was mentioning, those personal challenges. And they've always been something I would have done more in the last five years. That's where I've gone, whatever state the world was in. Um, lots of people I've been working with have been doing lots of virtual events and similar to some of the stuff we've discussed there was some who've doubled down on things they were already doing and there's some who've discovered this new event which will be a short-term stopgap for many but might just be another option in the calendar for others i think it's really broken the taboo of them a lot of people had some um elitist views towards virtual events that they weren't real events and they were sort of a bit plastic why do you want to do that when you could go and do an actual race and i think it's opened up it's the convenience factor of it that i like it's the fact that you can just do an event and still feel you've accomplished something 
in whatever capacity that you need to. So I've seen a real mixed response to, to virtual ones, but overall, mainly positive, very little absolute negatives about them. Yeah, I remember one of our very early podcasts, actually, I think we talked about them and the, but one of the things one of the things we talked about at the time was this, you know, if you're on social media in particular, this split that can be a bit elitist and, you know, the real runners and the people who just do it for medals and they get quite angsty on social media and attacking each other to some extent. Social, uh, criticizing virtual events. And to be honest, when we launched the, the Lakeland virtual event, I had a couple of emails which were... Um, let's say less than polite, telling me what a complete waste of time it was and why were you bothering and it's just a stupid idea and, you know, so, and uh, it's, um, so I think that does exist, That, but you're always going to get that on your different social groups, like you say, on, on, on social media or maybe criticise each other. But, um, but on the whole, um, I think, you know, I'd be interested to see whether the events actually, the virtual stuff continues going forwards once the events, um, normal events kind of resume, because I've heard a lot of people saying, we talked about it again in podcasts about how people have found new ways to work. So whether just working from home and, and finding ways to do that better or communicating using Skype or Zoom or whatever it may be. And lots of people have said that going forwards, it will change the way they work. And I wonder how the, whether the virtual events um, will actually continue or whether it will be something that will will fade out. Uh, Ian, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I think there, I think there'll be some residual effect. I mean, I, I think a lot of it will depend on race directors and how they're organised because obviously different um, virtual events are run in different ways as well. So some people give complete autonomy on uh, you know, where you do the running. Others are very, you know, you have to run on this course you can do it any time within this time window, but it has to be on on this course. Um, so obviously they're a bit different. I think I think in general what we've seen with the virtual events is just a a reflection of what we've seen in society more generally is that people's ability to adapt when forced to and put in the, you know huge constraints put on people's um, lives, people have found themselves to be more flexible and able to adapt and actually found enjoyment and pleasure in uh, and satisfaction from things that they could never have anticipated before those constraints were put in place. And I think, yeah, virtual events is an example of that. I know I was still training uh, this year and uh, up until late, virtual Lakeland 100 being announced, but I've certainly noticed a difference for me in terms of my motivation and just the fact that it puts, you know, a mark in the calendar and you've got some clarity over what you're doing and when it gives you more direction for your training. And I think, you know, race directors could, and I've seen a lot of people mentioned on the, uh, on, on Facebook and so on with the Lakeland 100 uh, and Lakeland 50 virtual events, people saying, well, I've never, I've not been able to get in in the past or I wouldn't normally be able to do this event. And now I feel as though I'm part of it. So, you know, possibly race, race directors could run virtual events alongside, you know, the main event. Um, or do something like that, which would encourage them and also endorse their use and not just being seen as something that's just there because the real event can't take place. Now, I think if that happens, I think people have recognised that they can get a lot of benefit motivation-wise and drive-wise um, from doing them. So I think if the events stay 
you know, there was many of them or close to as many as are available now and they're endorsed in the way that you know, he's, he's, the scene has been as important um, as the other events. I think I can see that in continuing because people have already got a taste for it and a feel for some of the benefits of it. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That, I mean, um, is an interesting conversation itself, whether you run a virtual event alongside a normal event because so we had with Lakeland the number of people that have said exactly what you've just said. I couldn't complete the Lakeland 50 or the Lakeland 100, but this has given me an opportunity and I can walk so many miles each day to get the medal. And, you know, so they will never actually get an entry because they can't complete 50 miles in one go. And whilst there's probably a bit of a fear from some people that will say, well, why would we run a virtual event? Because they'll enter the virtual event and then we won't get entries for the real event. But I think used in the right way and pitched in the right way, then, yeah, definitely could be a going forward. It could be an addition to certain events. Um Mike, you look like you were, you wanted to chip in there and say something. What's your thoughts on that? No, I completely agree with that. I think from the public point of view, the pendulum will swing both ways. And as always, it'll probably settle in the middle. The key stakeholders in the future of the virtual stuff are the race organisers. If they can see it as an opportunity to expand and offer different things, then this could be fantastic. And I lo- like that idea about the Lakeland in future is just a, a perfect example of of a real positive way because you never know some of these people might do a couple of virtuals and then go do you know what i'm gonna have a go at it now i think i probably can build up to that 50 miler yeah and if they can't they just feel part of it and it's that inclusive family side of it no i think some of the other things that i've had you know that you've got planned for next week uh mark also shows the way in which you know these events can be made to be much more sociable social and bring people together and the updates each day you know if people are doing Lakeland 100 or Lakeland 50, 50 virtually in future years and you've got things happening from Monday and it, it starts to build up the feeling for the event that's coming on the Friday as well um, yeah. so and people can approach the challenge in different ways and I think that might be what's changed in my view in terms of virtual events and a lot of the sort of confrontation in the past was whether the virtual event was as good as or better than or equivalent to. And I think it's important that we just see that they're different. Um, I think you can't, you never have a situation where it's the equivalent of a race. So one person doing it, even if it's the same course, you can say that person had a better run than that person because conditions change. We've talked in the past about, you know, racing is about being on the start line at the same time, and exactly the same conditions in your head-to-head and you've got to respond to what other people are doing and so on. That doesn't get replicated in a, in a virtual event. But if you start to see virtual events as motivators and personal challenges, then I think they can be very useful and very positive um, tools. And obviously the way that you set the event up impacts upon the way in which people look at the event as well. So I think actually flexibility about where you run the miles and how you do it and how you schedule it makes it, much more personal whereas the more you try and constrain it and make one person's run look as though it's equivalent to someone else's you're trying to make it look as though it's a race a head-to-head race and i don't think that that's where i I don't see a virtual event ever being able to mimic what a real event does so it's probably where i see the distinction uh between them but both useful yeah uh, you know and obviously racing we know how motivating that can be but i think virtual events can be very helpful as well if they're set up in the right way yeah yeah the other interesting thing as well, which I've seen a growing amount of, I know if you guys have seen this on, on again on social media, which seems to be the source of everything now, but uh, is um, virtual doping. 
<laughs> and it's interesting from from an elite end of some of the virtual events, uh, you know, down to just the participation. You know, people who are supposedly doing ultra races and uh, people who are running amazing times. And I know this has been going on for some time on a, on on Strava with people, perhaps, shall we say, editing their data. But but this now seems to be a thing as well. Is it was always going to be that case with virtual events? That's one of the problems. You can't always have a direct comparison. That's and that's not what they're about, is it? No. But you know that's interesting in itself. People, um, you know, people virtual doping, if you like, to uh, to show better performances. Uh, Ian, have you uh, have you seen or heard any of this or um, comments on it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this, um, uh, as you mentioned, there's various types of it and it manifests in different ways. I did hear a, a, another quite uh, popular running podcast recently where one of the co-hosts was talking about, so I think Parkrun have reopened uh, sort of through virtual events. So it's like Parkrun your way or your Parkrun or something where you pick a 5K course. And uh, he basically set, uh, set himself up on a 500 foot downhill point to point 5k course <laughs> to run as fast a time as, as possible. And yeah, it, it, then it just becomes really hard to compare that to anything, doesn't it? And uh, But it is interesting how people, you know, approach um, these events in different ways. And it obviously is why, you know, anything virtual is wide open to sort of external manipulation. And I think that's why it needs to be, you know, very much seen as a as a personal challenge and uh, not something you can compare from one person to the next. But yeah, some of the I mean I think we touched on this a bit in the past. But yeah, when people are um, sort of virtual doping and sort of manipulating performances, it, it just highlights how it's become more what's become more important to the, the individual involved is it's just how they're viewed rather than what they're getting from it personally, which you know probably tells us something not more necessarily more about that person but about society and how we we look at things and um and how people respond to other people's performances and and just the fact that everything's so public now uh, and everyone knows what everyone else is doing and that can uh, lead to people doing things that they, they probably they shouldn't and, and and might you know might regret themselves i think further down the line just because you know at the end of the day, whatever you've done to get that performance and to get those responses from other people, you know that you've done it all. So you're never going to get the same from that that you would if you, you know, if you if you've done it in the way that you you probably should do. Um, yeah, Mike, have you um, have you come across any cases of uh, virtual doping? <laughs> Nothing explicit that jumps off off the page that I've seen, but um, you know. We, we know since the dawn of racing in the real world, people have tried everything they can to cheat. And um, if people are prepared to to do it so overtly in, an, in a real life situation, then, of course, these people will try to exploit the, the opportunities and situations there. Just as Ian said, it alludes far more to the people and, and their psyche than, than anything else. And that doesn't mean you need to take virtual races with a pinch of salt because there's some really hardworking people doing some really good performances, but we probably need to just assess the uh, competitiveness and the comparability of that competitiveness within that, that realm because it's it's just not going to be really feasible. Yeah. We do some little virtual through the shop. We have a page where we do these this virtual duathlon series and it's called the, the uh, Virtual 40. 
And it's worked really well, I think, because it's 40 minutes. So we, it, the split might be different each week. So it might be 25 minutes of biking and 15 minutes of running. And you just bike as far as you can in 25 minutes, and it could be indoors or outdoors. And initially it was indoors, and now the people are going outdoors as well. And then you would run as far as you can, indoors or outdoors, for 15 minutes. And you add up the total, and whatever the total is, that's your finishing distance. And um, and that worked really well. And I think it worked well because it's 40 minutes. So if you if you set it as a distance, and some people might do it in an hour, and some people might take two hours. So, you know, that it, it kind of making it 40 minutes makes it – better for everybody because no matter how fit you are whether you're elite or whether you're a novice it's still 40 minutes and 40 minutes is a nice amount of time to fit in it's enough to really hurt yourself and get a workout but it's not long enough it's going to take too much out of your day but what we actually did is when you uploaded the time you had to say how you um you know how you completed the cycle and the run so on the cycle section it might say i was on zwift or a road outdoors or i used a, a turbo trainer with a rear mounted sensor and, uh, and it's been quite comical and I made it very clear from the start. I said to people, look, you can't compare the results across the board. So all this is about is you getting 40 minutes of hard work, you know, during the week. And that's all it's there for, just to motivate you. And I'm getting emails. That guy, I know that guy. And he can't ride that far. No way has he ridden 28 miles in 13 minutes and all this kind of stuff. And some things like, for example, um, uh, turbos with rear mounted sensors will always record high. But it, it doesn't matter. You can filter the results to show, you know, how they actually achieved the distance. But it's comedy getting messages going. There's, who is that guy? He must have been riding at 500 watts. I'm like, just calm down. It's just just a workout, you know. But people are getting a little bit, a little bit uber competitive. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. I mean, people have come out really well out of this. So people like uh, people like Zwift, aren't they? I mean, they must have. With lockdown, I wonder how many more people registered for Zwift, but. You know, you couldn't even buy smart turbos in the UK. They, they, they were sold out of smart turbos and they sold out of what bikes and people were buying them for silly amounts on eBay. Do, do either of you two, have you, have you used Zwift before for biking? Have you given it a go? I've not, but I've seen it live. We've had it set up at Open Days in the, for the testing at the university. So I've seen it operating. I've seen it uh, at Expos as well. And Mike, I think the one that, one of the ones that Mike spoke at, um, they had it set up on the treadmill for the running um, Swift as well. So, yeah, I've seen it uh, operating, but I've not tried it. Yeah, I've used it, and it's something that um, I wish was around when I was doing lots more cycling than I am now, certainly when I'm – my plan after MDS is to get back onto the bike a lot more and I'll be definitely embracing it there. Interestingly, when you were chatting about some of that stuff, I was quickly scanning online about um, people hacking Zwift. Yeah. And all I can think of is the the technical know-how and the level of time spent to try and hack some of these. It might be a sensible plan just to train a bit harder and a bit more. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. honestly the, the complexity some people have gone to to hack these systems just just go and do a bit more training you might find you don't need to hack so much it is it is comedy though because like i say even on zwift you know there's there's so many jokes about how you can enter a race and the, the races are, are, are great you know they're, they're they're really competitive um and uh and certainly during that kind of lockdown period i wasn't going outdoors much i did quite a bit of zwift racing and if you really get into it, some of the standards on Zwift are amazing. You know, some great riders on there, and certainly with the pros getting on board, and you know, there was all sorts of outputs. The system automatically blocked them and presumed that they were lying about the 
lying about their weight or something like that. But the um, but yeah, that's a standing joke when you go on Zwift that why is everybody like 40 kilograms? You know, you can see the power to weight that they're pushing and you just think, well, is everybody in this race weighing only 40 kilograms? <laughs> and there's all, and I think for the, for the pro races, you have to do a live weigh-in now so that people can see how heavy you are so they know that the power to weight is, uh, is accurate. But, but yeah, it is even on something like that on Zwift where it's just, you know, it's, a, it's, it's in effect a computer game people still feeling that urge to to lie about the weight to to, to get be, get better scores but it's um yeah but i say if, if if people feel that they have to uh they have to do that in real life then they're probably going to do that on zwift as well aren't they so um virtual lakeland isn't far away so uh, uh, ian i presume you've entered the 100 yeah mike 100 or 50 100 good lad good lad so we're only one week away now, I mean, Ian, are you going to start tapering? And Mike, are you going to start training? Or <laughs> I, I, I have, yeah, so I did my last long run yesterday. So I did about two and a half hours yesterday out in the hills. Got about three thousand feet of ascent in as well. So decent session yesterday. Um, so I'll, I'll pretty much take it easy from now. It'll be easy running and start dropping things down. Yeah, um, yeah. I've, 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 I'm. I've got it in the back of my mind that I should try and do it in 40 hours because yeah. that's the cutoff. So that's maybe it might be my personal challenge for the actual event is whether I try and do it in the in the 40 hours. Um, I'll look at the conditions and, and decide and see how the taper goes. But that's in the back of my mind, yeah. Is is your plan to do it as a winner, Ian? Uh, it, it might be split with a little bit of sleep in in the in the middle, but yeah over two days so start at six in the morning instead of six at the night uh, as the race does and then finish by 10 the night and the night after um yeah so that um, <laughs> and, and i'll be in the lake districts because we're going on holiday on saturday so i'll be in the lakes next week yeah yeah so um yeah it, it'll be it'll be nice if i can do that and do it in the 40 hours it'll it'll feel the nearest i can get to probably uh been in the event itself yeah 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 mike what's your plans to be honest i'm still trying to work them out my weeks my diary with work and kids is so fluid that i can't really make a plan yet yeah um it will see what how many patients book in for online sessions and, and things like that um because of where my training's been over the last few months then yeah the, the in a one go is probably not a sensible plan right now for me what I think I'll probably end up doing is breaking it into two or three chunks and doing it through the night. That's, yeah. that's my sensible time is to probably head out the door at 9 p.m., run till maybe 3, 4 in the morning, get a couple of hours sleep, go back to work. Interesting thing for me now is I have no idea what shape I'm in, whether that's predominantly walk, run or run or whatever. So it could be some nights I'll get maybe, you know, 40 miles plus in and then I can pretty, pretty much break it down into two or three days or maybe it'll end up over, over a few more. So um, one way or the other, in a, in a couple of weeks when we record the next one, you know, they can have someone with a really positive memory of how it went. Yeah. Or someone who never wants to hear the words Lakeland 100 ever again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And for people listening in, basically, we organised a virtual uh, event for Lakeland 50 and Lakeland 100, and it starts next Monday, Monday the 20th, isn't it? Monday the 20th, going to finish by Sunday the 26th do a 50 or 100 miles or 105 miles to be exact because uh, that's the length of the actual course 
but you can break it down however you like. And that's been quite nice, actually. Some people have said, look, I just can't. I, I, I'm not even a runner. But, you know, it's only for the 50, it's only seven miles a day. So they could walk three and a half miles in the morning, walk three and a half miles in the evening. There's your seven miles. You can go out as many times as you want during the day, break it down into two, three, four sessions, walk or run. So uh, even Uncle Terry's doing it with Andy Down. Yeah, they're just going to walk. Oh, brilliant. Okay, yeah. So Terry's going to get a proper Lakeland medal, not the massive cardboard <laughs> cutout that he does every year. <laughs> yeah. So um, so there is a lot of people doing it. And the, 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 the plan is um, that what we've tried to do, like with a 50, for example, there are seven checkpoints. So you would run the distance to get to each checkpoint on each of the seven days. So on Monday, they've got to run to Howtown. On Tuesday, they run to Mardale. And for the 100 runners, it's kind of every second checkpoint. So on the Monday, you've got to run to Boot. And then the Tuesday, you've got to run to people to follow and my that was that it would it would generate some um chat because people would feel they're all you know on the same routine and we've all got to get to Howtown by the end of the first day and we've all got to get to mardale by the end of the second day and so on but likewise we've got lots of people like you Ian, who say well i'm just going to do the whole 100 miles in 40 hours and that's my personal challenge so it's flexible and people can do whatever they want because like we said earlier with you know the virtual events you know that some people have entered this and they're thinking i want to be the first one to finish the 50 or the first one to finish the 100 and that you know they on monday night when the results of you know the updates and the results are there on monday night they're going to be at the top of the leaderboard going i've already done the 50 and i was the fastest person to do it and that's obviously their personal challenge so yeah it'd be interesting to see how how many people do it and how long it takes them and whether there's a group of people who try and do it as fast as possible. And, you know, that's going to be interesting in, its, uh, in itself. But no, I'm very much looking forward to the week. And the plan is throughout the week, of course, that we, um, we're going to have uh, interviews and updates. So what I'm thinking is uh, we, on one of those days, maybe if you two want to come on on the Facebook page on the evening yeah. and, um, you know, you'll, 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 by Wednesday, you'll be having a beer in. So you'll be sat there. <laughs> I'm looking for a weather window in the late district. Weather window, yeah. <laughs> so I think that, that's maybe a good thing we'll do. Maybe we'll pencil it in maybe for the Wednesday or the Thursday midweek, you know, and do, we'll, um, we'll, yeah, we'll, do a, we'll have a live chat on the Facebook page. Uh, by, the th by the Thursday, I'll be emailing Ian for virtual doping ways to get him to tick <laughs> off some yeah. of my mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just you know, I will be checking your Strava profile and looking at the data. Well, here's an interesting one from previous ones. I now have to set up a Strava profile. Yeah. As you know me, I'm so anti-Strava and all that tech crap that bogs people down in their training. But now I suddenly now this week have to go and start a Strava account. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. You can't you can't take photographs of breadcrumbs. That won't work. You can't. I was gonna, to be honest, I was gonna measure a piece of string and just send it to you. Yeah, yeah, this is our fire of gold. <laughs> yeah, so I am looking forward to that. It'll be good next week. So, yeah, so if you are listening in, make sure you tune into the Lakeland 100 Facebook page as well. So starting from Monday, there's going to be lots going on. So moving on, um, it's probably worth talking about the, the, the latest news as well with the, uh, with the government and the fact that events are now allowed to go ahead. So um, I'm, I'm not even sure how many people know this. I think it was released on Thursday. Was it released Thursday or was it released Thursday or over the weekend, one of the two, there was some bits. Because of the, um, we don't have a daily briefing anymore, but it seems like a lot of stuff's getting released by the government and it's almost, um, 
it's like hidden information. It's drip fed, isn't it? It's nothing that's announced with a really, you know, with you know, not making big announcements and events can go ahead and this can go ahead and that can go ahead. It seems like it's just very, very slowly drip fed and, and no real noise is made about it. But basically, as we stood last week, um, again, if you, you look at social media, you'll see there was like a big campaign for to get swimming pools open, wasn't there? And, um, you know, UK swimming were campaigning to get swimming pools back on and, um, and, 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 and those, you know, a lot of stuff, people were arguing, well, why can we go to pubs? But why can't we go to beauty salons and X, Y and Z? And then there were some changes made last week um, and swimming pools was one of them due to be open. And uh, and gyms are also now allowed to be open and personal training and so on, um, according to certain guidelines. And slipped in there as well in the information was mass participation events. So obviously I've been following this quite closely. And what the, the, the ruling on it um, and the whole thing is very it's very confusing, to be honest, whether it was ever um, legal to stop events or, or not. You know, and the work, uh, that's, we could never actually get an answer from local authorities whether it was legal or illegal. Um, you would just get an, a, a reply saying, well, we cannot sanction events. But, you know, so the, the whole thing's been very complicated all the way through. Um, but the, the rulings now are that we're still on that groups of six, aren't we, in bubbles? So is it six people in a bubble? And then it's 30 yeah. people as a gathering, isn't it? So six people in a bubble, 30 people in a gathering. Yeah. But the, the ruling uh, goes beyond that now, which is um, that that, th that limit of 30 for a gathering, actually, if you can show that you have the correct environment, so certainly if you're, ex if you're doing stuff outdoors, for example, that's a classic one, and you are COVID safe or COVID secure is the actual term, if you're COVID secure, that you can in effect um, organise uh, something for as many people as you think you can feasibly manage. Um, and that's what the guidelines are now saying. So, and I see a lot of people asking questions on Facebook pages. So can we start racing now again? You know, can, and, and questioning UK athletics. And to be fair, I, I don't think UK athletics or British triathlon and those kind of people, I'm not even sure they knew what the government were telling them. You know, I don't think they could decipher the information. But where we stand, as I understand it now, from what I've read, is that that group of 30, whilst that's an initial cap, if you can show you are a COVID secure environment, and getting a definition of what a COVID secure environment is is pretty tricky. Um, but we, but if you're organising an event outdoors, that's one thing ticked off. If you are putting all your safety measures in place, so limiting touch points, and this is probably what you'll see with events that do open. So limit touch points. So don't have registration, don't have um, uh, briefings on the day where people are coming together and um, put everything online um, try and reduce any kind of touch points. So there will be things like they're going to have to be careful with because uh, changing rooms and portaloos weren't allowed to be open, but you can't organise a running race without a portaloo. So they're going to have things like that with touch points um, and, if, and drink stations or refreshment stations and then collecting your, even collecting your medal at the end of an event and all that kind of stuff just minimising contact and touch points and then socially distancing people. And socially distancing people can be done by, um, uh, by operating, I would say, a, a time trial format or starting very small numbers of people at set times. So, so we've already had the go-ahead from a couple of local councils now to organise events and what those events will look like. So we're organising a, a mass swim locally. 
And it will be all of those things. You'll have a designated start time. So the event will, will start at nine o'clock and summers will start every 30 seconds or every 40 seconds in the water. You will have a designated start time. You turn up 30 minutes before your start time. You park in the car, in the car park where you are not you know, far enough away from other people. Don't congregate in the car park. Queue up at a safe distance. All the briefings will have been done online. You get into the water and you start at 30 second time gaps. When you're passing people, make sure you give them a wide berth when you're passing them. When you exit the water, you go back to your car. No spectators allowed, all that kind of stuff. And there's a whole list of things which make it safe. Um, and those are all things that we've had to implement. And we can now go ahead and organize events. And at the same time, we're trying to balance that with making sure there's still going to be an atmosphere and a live music and an MC and all that kind of stuff. So people just don't think that it's a dead duck when they turn up and do it. But you could see that with triathlons starting at 40 second time gaps. You can see it with running races starting at 30 or 40 second time gaps. And, and, and going forwards now, it seems like events are, are going to have the green light. And obviously, say, being in the outdoors, then, you know, that, that, that they've already identified that being outdoors is obviously a lot safer than than being indoors. So, um, so yeah, so we, we're hoping that by August that we will be able to organise events in, in, a, in a change format and they they will be able to go ahead. Um, I don't know if, uh, uh, Ian, have you got any thoughts on that or um, are, you, are you looking forward to doing something in August? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would definitely be interested. I mean, I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about people's flexibility around virtual events. Is I think we'll see the same when we go back to racing. I think there's an acknowledgement within the community that it's going to look different. People don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I think if you listen to some of the, the podcasts and events that are going on in the States that have continued to happen and some of the measures they're putting in place are not dissimilar to some of the things that um, you've just been talking about. So I think people recognise that things are going to be different. I'd be very keen. And I think, you know, the, the idea of a time trial format yeah, for running events or, or for swimming, as you just said, I think, yeah, sounds great. So I, I would definitely be an interested. And like you say, I think what we are talking earlier about blending virtual and actual events, you could probably do something in terms of blending, you know, the way in which Lakeland has done sort of doing sort of the community stuff online. You could do that bit online, build it around. You know, if you do, I'm thinking here probably bigger events, obviously, but if you've got a bigger event where you've still got to have lots of the social distancing measures in place, all the sort of, instead of everyone being congregate in a big hall, which everyone loves and you get that atmosphere and feeling, we can still generate some of that online and uh, with some of the other activities that are put around it. But then the actual race itself obviously feels a bit different. But yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a, it's a step back more towards the sort of racing that, um, that we all love uh, and it's out in the hills and it's, it's getting us back to where we want to be racing so yeah now I'd be up for that. Yeah I mean, we're actually a couple of things are put in place as well so we're looking at other things like um, for the, this swim we're organising in a it's which is actually three weeks time so with, that's how soon we're starting but with the swim we're organising we'll have for example live finish streaming so there'll be a, a camera on yeah. the finish line and there'll be live stream so your friends or your family or can, can actually go onto Facebook and watch you cross the line uh, because we can't have big crowds there, but they can see you finish. So, and to be honest, even we, talk, we talked earlier about um, uh, how some things you use will go forwards and you'll use them even when things go back to normal. That's something we'd probably do anyway, because, you know, if you were going to go and do a 10K somewhere and your family might 
kind of not bother coming with you because it's just a, you know, it's not a massive event. But if you said, look, I'm probably going to finish around this time, it's the kind of thing that probably your family might just flick on the Facebook okay. and what's the line, you know? So it will probably engage a much wider audience. So these are things I think will carry forwards. And even um, uh, uh, the presentation will be live on Facebook where we will basically interview the winners on Facebook. And so, so, you know, we'll have a presentation there uh, live on the internet rather than people congregating. So, but yeah, like the live finish stream and think, I think stuff will, will go forward and use quite a lot. So some of the stuff I think will, uh, will prompt new ideas that we'll keep. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, we've, so we've probably spent the last three weeks in the therapy world going through this reintegration and this evolution into this new opening hours and these new opening practices. And anything that's a change from the old is, is, a little bit different but both therapists and patients have made that really nice adjustment and these races will probably no doubt take the same format everyone will find this nice blend the thing that i was going to jump in and mention was the use of technology uh, a couple of my friends who run down in cardiff they're running a track team um sort of sub elite international level track team they've done virtual club races 5k time trials relays all online live streamed against three other elite clubs around the uk it's been fantastic to watch because Andon Art, he's a good mate of mine, but I would have never gone on a Saturday to watch him race. Yeah. And I've watched 20 elite 5K runners from around the UK racing online. And that's where I've started making notes of thinking, well, I wonder how we can integrate the technology going forward. A couple of Fridays ago, we ran a virtual therapy conference that had 22,000 people from around the world watching speakers. We had nine different speakers talking in one go. And again, that's not going to be the only way we, we do conferences in the future, but it's an option. So um, I love the idea of the live stream of the finishing and the interviews. And, you know, um, it, it makes it can make a relatively small event punch much above its weight and feel like a real big event. Yeah. And how, how many of us would, would feature on, on a live stream on TV in an event? Not many normally. Yeah. But now we have we have this opportunity in a platform to all become superstars for five minutes. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I really think and they're not, you know, they're not complicated systems. There's not a lot of technology or money needed to have some simple things put in place that make a really big difference. So I love the thought of how technology can continue to make a difference moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And for us as well, you know, I mean, looking at if you're looking at it from a, I suppose, a business standpoint as well. If you're live streaming and it's just if people say to, are saying to their friends, I will be finishing at roughly this time, you're engaging so many more people who are watching it and thinking, you know, this is something that I might want to have a go at. And when is the next swim that I can take part in and so on? So it's a uh, yeah, it said it, it, uh, that's some of the positives, I guess, that have come out of the negative, which is looking at these new ways that you can you can work and how you can then integrate those things going forward as well. You know, well, well, we know the difficulty that race organizers have had financially over this period because of people, their money being predominantly ger generated from race entries. Now we potentially have the platform where vendors and sponsors will want to be much more heavily involved in races because the reach that advertising has. And now we can secure the future of some races going forward without depending on exclusively on race entries. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So there are at least some things to uh, to look forward to. That's what that's the most important thing, isn't it? 
Um, so, Ian, anything final from you that you want to finish with before we go? Uh, yeah, I think uh, just the general theme of some of the things that we've talked about in terms of, you know, it's, it, seeing things as a personal challenge is very important, being flexible and looking at what's, you know, what is available at the moment and how best can I use that to get the best out of myself in the present time? And I think the other key thing for me about um, the 100 next week is whether I can try a few things out in that and, and learn something from it. Because I think that for me, there's always, you know, what can I be learning? So you get the satisfaction of the event itself, but, you know, what learning can I, can I get from it? So I'm going to try a few things out nutrition-wise that are a little bit different that I wouldn't probably normally risk in a, an event of that length um yeah. if it was the, the, the actual event that i can just try out a bit that might take forward into my own racing in the future yeah. so i think yeah be flexible see what you can get from it and see how what, what you can get from the remainder of this year can help going into next year yeah and just from a psychology perspective as well Ian, just one thing i would add, add into this is what i find interesting is again organizing events we will get a lot of emails from people saying you know at I don't want to do this event even if you hold it because I haven't had the same amount of training or the pools have been closed. So I've not been able to swim enough and my fitness levels are not great. So I wouldn't, you know, so therefore I don't want to take part this year. And I, I, it's that getting that mind shift, if you like, that um, if you ask people why they enter endurance events, if you say, why do you enter Ironman or why do you enter marathons or ultra races? A large number of people will give you an answer that involves the word challenge and pushing themselves and I want to overcome difficulties. And but yet if they're not quite race fit, they suddenly don't want to do the event, <laughs> you know, and that's interesting. Because I think, well, if you're not a little bit race fit, do you know what's going to happen. You're going to be a little bit slower. It'll take you a little bit longer and it might be a little bit harder. So if you're doing endurance sports because you want to challenge yourself then, then just crack on, you know? Well, you just need to move the bar a little bit to a different point based on where you are currently. I've got it written in my notes here when I was talking, you know, when we were talking about Kim Collison and Sabrina Vergi and these personal challenges that people set for themselves. And, you know, it's a way of determining, you know, is that really what you're in it for? And I think that, you know, some people are finding out whether it really is. But, you know, there's absolutely no reason why with what, things have freed up to this point if you're talking about racing in the next month or two where you can't get to a point where you can do something that's personally challenging and you're fit enough to do that even if it's not a personal best um so i think you know there's, and there's a lot of benefit in doing that you get just as much satisfaction from meeting that challenge um as you would another one yeah so, yeah absolutely and mike coming to you just finally reiterate what i said at the start you know be realistically ambitious with whatever all of you want to do for the rest of 2020 but remember there will be a winter and an off season and a 2021 so enjoy the rest of this year and get what you can but we go again next year and it's important to remember that needs to be put in place properly yeah yeah great so enjoy the races this year rather than uh, trying to drill yourself adjust the bar a little bit so you're not putting too much pressure onto yourself. And then we go again in 2021. Fantastic. Absolutely. Guys, thank you very much for talking this afternoon. It's been a pleasure as always. And uh, we will, I'm sure, speak again very soon. Cheers, guys. Cheers, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to the show today. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow myself uh, via the Endurance Store at Endurance Coach. You can follow Mike, the Endurance Physio, at the Endurance PT. And you can follow Dr. Ian Bordley at MD Sport X. That's MD Sport EX. Uh, you can also visit our website. You can visit theendurancestore.com, which is a local running shop near Wigan. And uh, we also offer the Endurance Coach testing and coaching services. And also just check out sportsinjuryfix.com, where you can find a sports injury specialist near you. Speak to you soon. <laughs>